0: Shocking, lurid, tawdry, a history of American scandals. I'm your host, Casey Howe.
1: And I'm your other host, Mark Pikert.
0: Hi, Mark. How are you?
1: I'm good. You know, it occurred to me that we don't really talk about who we are, ever, (laughs) which might be helpful in terms of context.
0: Okay, Okay. Uh, Sure
1: or at the very least like i've got some shit that people should check out just to make me that's true better success more successful uh i'm the editor-in-chief of a new gay editorial site called the uh one that <laughs> one that treats porn stars like its own babies <laughs> uh, but no it's a gay editorial site that actually writes about gay porn in an intelligent and meaningful way, because it is a huge aspect of gay life that is uh, almost entirely excluded from uh, gay content farms like Out and Queerty.
0: Yes, yes, it's really great. It's a new, it's a new voice. It's a new take on it. It's not just you know the run of the mill um, sort of what you would I guess like stereotypically think of. Gay porn and, and whatnot, it really takes sort of a more intellectual and lifestyle look at it, if I'm saying that correctly.
1: Uh, you are. Thank you for that. You. You're uh, welcome. Yeah, it's fun. And the guys are, mm-hmm. you know, hot and excited to actually be taken seriously as people.
0: That's so true. Imagine. I bet that those interviews are super interesting because they're like, wait, you want to actually talk about something? Wow. Yep. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. So I bet they're really interesting and insightful and refreshing new content that you can't find anywhere else
1: uh it is check it out (laughs) Thegaygoods.com.
0: um and i work with backstage guys so i do that we have um a cool i don't know when this is going to air so it might already be over and i'm sorry um but we have a cool um our first virtual tv festival coming up at the end of may so if you don't check it out in real time check it out in post real time and then next time we do it but that's kind of a new thing for us so that's kind of cool i'm excited about it
1: i don't know but we'll talk about this offline because i don't want to have to be polite about it
0: no you don't need to be um but if we're talking about you know (laughs) what we're doing jobs wise that's the only new thing i can come up with so there's
1: Uh, yeah no I, i look forward to hearing more about this
0: it's what um it's basically me doing the same thing I did to get this podcast is me bullying people at work to do what I think they should do. So that's it's the same mentality. I use it across the board. I think it's generally my yeah.
1: go-to. Well, you know what? If it's effective in one area of life, it's going to be <laughs> effective in all of them.
0: So we'll see how it goes. But that's my uh, my my personal work news. I'm already uncomfortable about sharing um, information about personal information about ourselves, Mark. So there we go.
1: Well, I can good job. <laughs> uh, I can, I can, I can actually edit it out. I actually do know how to edit. <laughs> I just don't like to. No,
0: it's good. It's good. We like it. We like it. Yes, uh, it's good. More information. importantly,
1: uh, we recently received a text message from a former coworker. <gasps> we did. Uh, who sent us a photo of a butter dish? And then a photo of an uncovered butter dish and said, uh, cold butter is not where it's at. And you and I thought that she was just talking about baking. And it turns out it was a direct reference to our second episode about butter versus margarine and the oleo margarine heir who turned to uh, pimping out his lady friends for money. Uh, Check that one out. (laughs) One, we did not expect anyone to actually listen, and two, uh, we don't listen to the like. We record. (laughs) Casey sends me the file. I add music to the beginning and the end, and then I just schedule it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I literally, and I think we said this the last episode too, or one of them, where I'm, I'm like, I, I don't remember what we say the moment it comes out of my mouth. So, I one sheet once plus I just thought that it was a reference to all of us like being from the south and that's a very southern thing to do is like leave butter on the counter that's why you have a top tier butter dish you just you leave a stick of butter out because you're going to go through it in like two days so you might as well just leave it out and so I thought it was that and then like later that night I was like wait is this a podcast reference (laughs)
1: Yeah, I so mean, I to be fair, I did think twice of it. Uh, you actually just texted and we were like, is this a reference to our podcast? And she was like, yes, it was. And I had actually I had just, no idea.
0: No, I had random, well, I, I turned on. I was like, okay, tonight's the night. I'm going to listen to our our episodes. And um, so I sort of ran through the first couple episodes and that's when it dawned on me. I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. We talk about margarine and soft butter. <laughs> And yeah. she just texted back, and she was like, "Yeah, guys, that's that's what it was." And I was like, "Yep, yeah. right over our heads."
1: <laughs> uh, thank God that you put it together because she probably thought we were real assholes for just being. I didn't reply at all because I didn't know what to say, and you were just like, mm, "Yeah, warm butter, yeah, <laughs> the best."
0: Oh, yes. I I literally thought it was a reference to our southern heritage and then it dawned on me. So, sorry about that. It was and really funny. It was a great joke. Thanks for listening. Uh, we love everybody. Well, no listens. one listens now. You drove away <laughs> our one listener. Probably. <clears throat>
1: Probably. Uh, we um, should get all of today, our former bartenders to listen.
0: Oh, that would be great.
1: God, our ratings would be through the roof.
0: (laughs) We'd have so many listeners. (sighs) Um, So today, Mark, um, you are going to tell us a scandal. How was that transition? I think it was smoothless, and I think I have a future.
1: Uh, I do, too. I think that you deserve your own podcast. (laughs) It's this one. This is the one you deserve. (laughs) But
0: he's leaving me guys sorry
1: (laughs) everybody gets the everybody gets the career that they deserve (laughs) don't i know it (laughs) well Uh, casey uh i would love to tell you a story about a little gal taken in to a loving home as an adopted child given every luxury money could buy Except the one thing she really wanted. The love of her mother. Oh. Joan Crawford. <gasps> yes. Mommy Dearest! Today Ray? we are going to talk about Joan Crawford, Christina Crawford, Mommy Dearest, and the insane aftermath of Christina Crawford publishing her 1978 memoir. Oh my gosh. Yay! Uh <gasps> I love it. So here here is something important to note. No one does a Joan Crawford impression. People only do impressions of Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford.
0: Oh, <laughs> that's funny.
1: That is how pervasive this caricature of Joan Crawford has become. Uh, and I'm going to preface this entire thing by saying I'm a huge Joan Crawford fan, uh, both in terms of her career output and in terms of her ability to reinvent herself with every changing era and still remain a star. Uh, I think that there are very few rags to riches stories like hers. Uh, she's also a major character in my novel, which is coming out, um, Date TBD. Uh, But the things that Christina Crawford writes about are shocking, lurid, and tawdry. (laughs) Uh, Among among many things that she alleges, uh, there's the psychological abuse, there's physical abuse. Uh, She was the first one, I think, to really publicly call Joan Crawford an alcoholic, which was eventually confirmed. Uh, And she alleged many lesbian affairs Hmm. uh, with Joan Crawford, something that is also something that also comes up from different sources. Uh, But we're going to get into that in a second, because this this scandal touches on a lot of things. Uh, But to begin at the beginning, uh, Christina Crawford uh, was born in 1939 and she was adopted by Joan Crawford in the 40s. Which is a big, big taboo because Joan Crawford was a single woman. Forget how rich she was. Forget how famous she was. She was a single woman in California in the 40s, and people did not want to give children to her. Well, she ended up adopting five. Uh, I think she returned one.
0: (laughs) It seems like her on brand.
1: Uh, She adopted Christina and Christopher. Okay. Uh, First, she named them Joan Jr., and philip terry jr after her then husband when that relationship ended she just overhauled the children's names and just started really? calling them christina and christopher
0: oh my god uh, then
1: she adopted were they, were they
0: the same age or tw- were they were they twins or no
1: they no, just ha- no. she just happened they to were... adopt
0: them at the same time
1: yes basically okay. like a few months apart i believe Uh, There's also a rumor that the gangster uh, Meyer Lansky helped her procure a baby, Mm. something that Christina writes about in her second memoir, Survivor, which I read last night. (laughs)
0: Like you do, because you're a good Uh, journalist.
1: Well, did you know that you can buy a book on Kindle and you have seven days to return it for a full refund? (laughs)
0: On Audible, you can return it any time.
1: Yeah, but I have to listen to it then, and I don't want to. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, so, she and Christina and Joan have a very contentious relationship. No one disputes that. Uh, in fact, if anything, the publication of Mommy Dearest kind of overshadows the very public falling outs that they had previously, so everyone thinks that Christina Crawford waited until her mother was dead to publicly out her and to air their dirty laundry. That is not the case. There's actually a 1960 Redbook article about her leaving her mother, tossing her into a convent. Uh, like a very, very nasty family drama that both of them were, are quoted in. And they're talking about like the headmaster and his wife at this uh, boarding school that Christina became very close with. And when reached for comment, the headmaster's wife replied and said, having had previous dealings with Miss Joan Crawford in the past, uh, we regretfully pass on the opportunity to speak to you now. We hope you understand. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So this is not new information. Uh, However, this is... And books by children about shitty celebrity parents are not new either. This, however, is the first time that a book of this magnitude is published. It is the first time that child abuse within a wealthy family is publicly acknowledged. Hmm. Wow. Before Christina Crawford wrote Mommy Dearest, uh, abuse was routinely seen as uh, poverty level.
0: Oh. Like, this is something that
1: happens in poor families.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Okay. And this is also somewhat according to her, and you have to take everything that she says with a grain of salt. Uh, she it. is the only woman, allegedly, that Elvis ever threw out of Graceland.
0: Oh, okay. Hmm interesting Uh,
1: because she threw a drink in his face for more attention
0: Mm, well that'll do it i don't think elvis appreciates something like that
1: nope nope (laughs) Nope, he did not uh so she was asked to leave uh so joan crawford died in 77 and according to christina crawford she sat down she (laughs) went to the reading of the will which famously disinherited her and her brother uh quote for reasons which are well known to them
0: oh so christopher and does,
1: she,
0: in chris so christopher is not necessarily getting better treatment it's not just christina
1: no it is okay. always her story has always been she and christopher got, got ho- treated horribly uh she never indicated that the younger twins were treated the same the twins have long denied every allegation made by christina
0: okay got it okay please proceed thank you uh
1: Yes, but so so they're Christopher are, she and Christopher are disinherited. And here's what I did not, and that's how Mommy Dearest the movie ends with the reading of the will. And Christopher says something like, "Mommy Dearest always gets the last word." And then you get a close up of Christina's face, and she goes, "Does she?" (laughs) And then the credits roll, and you know that she's going to go home and write this expose. Uh, Here's what I did not realize. J. Paul Getty's will had just been made public a few weeks before Joan Crawford's will, or before Joan Crawford's death. And so that one was so scandalous with the people who were disinherited or who inherited that it became kind of a game for reporters to look into wills. And so they glom onto Joan Crawford's will. So not only has Mm -hmm. Christina Crawford recently reconciled with Joan, she thought they were in a really good place. Then Joan dies. She's disinherited with this very cryptic, opaque message. And all of a sudden, it's all over the news. Got it. All over the news. So she's watching people talking about her disinheritance on TV. Uh, she later discovers that, that that provision was put into a, 19, a 1960 will and carried out for almost 20 years like every year there was a new will and every year Joan Crawford just said yep keep that
0: got it wow
1: okay so I also did not know that she and her brother sued and accused one of their adopted sisters of taking advantage of Joan's weakened mental state to insinuate themselves into her favor and her will
0: Oh, so they're saying they, yeah, they had something to do with it. Okay.
1: And they were each ultimately awarded $55,000. Okay.
0: From the lawsuit.
1: From the lawsuit. Okay. So that's, that's going on. According to Christina, she left, she found out that she had been disinherited, went home and started writing the summer of 77 uh, and started writing Mommy Dearest and it just poured out of her. Wow, okay. Uh, There are a lot of rumors, a lot of them from the Joan camp, that she started writing the book before Joan died.
0: Mm, okay. Uh,
1: And that is referenced in the Ryan Murphy series Feud as well.
0: Remember that uh, day that we shut up all the windows in the middle of the summer and watched that and drank wine salad uh, and had Cracker Barrel and Snyder's honey mustard pretzels?
1: Yeah, I do. That was... Do. <laughs> that, was uh, that ended up being a very messy night for me after I left you. Uh,
0: That's true, But that Sorry. was
1: Memorial Day.
0: Was it Memorial Day? Okay.
1: 2017?
0: hmm I recall it being a beautiful sunny day and we shut oh, yeah. all the blinds and stayed inside all day long.
1: And Ugh. isn't that the most Joan Crawford thing we could do?
0: <laughs> so true. Uh, well,
1: so anyway. Chris, <clears throat> so okay. people have said that Christina started writing this before and that that might have contributed to Joan's ill health and ultimate death. Uh, I tend to believe that Christina thought that she was in a better place with Joan. Uh, It certainly seemed like that when you read her, when you you read Mommy Dearest. Uh, The shocking thing about Mommy Dearest is honestly how matter of fact it is about the abuse and about her relationship with Joan and about her continued relationship with Joan because there was no reason she didn't cut Joan out as soon as she turned 18 and was of age.
0: Right, good point. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: She continued to kind of getting beaten up by this, probably slightly imbalanced alcoholic uh including just this insane rivalry between the two of them because she wanted to be an actress and it was just a mess from start to finish because joan wanted to give her advice she didn't want advice uh and joan didn't want her trading on her name because joan had scratched and clawed her way out of nothing and she wanted the same for christina because it's the thing of parents right like either They want to make things easier for their children than they had them, or they want their children to experience the same hardships that gave them the ability to rise above. Right, right. Very true. And Joan is that camp. Joan is very much, (laughs) I worked my way through school, I scrubbed toilets, I did everything I needed to do to survive, and so are you, Christina, darling. Uh, I also find it very interesting and slightly telling that... We'll get into that in a second. Okay. So, Christina originally titled the book The Hype. And once it got to Agents and William Morrow publishers, Judy Pfeiffer, the editor, suggested Mommy Dearest. Okay. Uh, Mommy Dearest comes out in October 1978. And Christina recounts a possibly apocryphal story... That before it was published, people were selling Xeroxed copies on the black market for a thousand dollars a pop.
0: What
1: that's how expensive this is. That's what she says.
0: Okay, okay, oh my gosh, that's how much of a big deal it was, right? Is they were willing to Xerox copies and sell them, but they could sell them for a thousand dollars. So, yeah, I'll stand in front of Xerox all night, sure,
1: yeah. So here, guys. Here so a things. Xerox
0: machine is this big <laughs> machine, and when I say big, it's not like your FedEx machine. It's a big it's machine, a room. and you put you put a piece of paper on it, you press a button, the light goes boom boom, and the same paper comes out. It's just a giant copier. Okay, keep going. Uh, Sorry. There
1: will be a link to a scene from Nine to Five explaining <laughs> Xerox machines and how they worked at the time. It's just it's in for the our, show notes. Uh,
0: all of our all of our youths that listen. There we go. Yeah,
1: so many (laughs) U's. So here are two important things to note about Christina's book that I think tend to get lost when we talk about Mommy Dearest. One, this is four years after Watergate. So Mm. she really thought there was an audience for people willing to hear the truth about people in power.
0: Mm, Okay, okay, right.
1: Two, she always considered it an autobiography. Okay. She never considered it a book about Joan Crawford.
0: Got it. She wasn't necessarily framing it as a tell-all in her mind. It was just her
1: story. It was her story about surviving a shitty childhood that happened to be with a giant movie star. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Uh, She was wrong. Uh, No one saw it as an autobiography, and no one was ready to hear the truth about a beloved Hollywood icon who had died a year before. Oh no! Okay. Yes. Uh, so the book comes out. She even before the book comes out, they start negotiating for movie rights. Got and it. Okay. She's very. She's very blunt about the negotiations in her second memoir, Survivor. Uh, she's very frank that she had an agent who didn't seem to particularly like her, who set her and her then husband David up with three studios. And then kind of bullied her into choosing one. The book has not come out. The fact that she was forced to choose between three options is outrageous.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: And at one point, Paramount says, we're suing you for $200,000 for uh, reneging on the deal. And she said, what deal? There's been nothing in paper. And they're like, well, you're, you're not agreeing to the terms that we had agreed upon anymore. And she's like, what terms? We've only spoken. Oh my god. But Param- Paramount is just going to flat out sue her, and then the producer Frank Yablans comes up and says, "Look, if you work with me, I'll take care of Paramount. They will. I will take care of the 200K. You can write the screenplay. Like here, are all the things that we'll do." And she was like, "I okay." Like, and she's very upfront throughout Survivor. She did not want a movie made. She did not want to make a movie with any of these people in particular. And every step of the way, she should have said no. And she just got carried away by the number of people pushing for an answer. And the fact that she even engaged in conversations about negotiations meant that there was always a door open in people's minds to push her towards saying yes.
0: Got it. Okay. And because
1: she left that door open, it just snowballed.
0: Got it. Interesting.
1: Okay. Okay. So all of this is going on before the book is even out. Then the book is out, and Jesus Christ, it explodes. She goes everywhere. And as she goes on the book tour, guess what people are not talking about? Uh, The abuse that she alleges that she suffered at the hands of Joan Crawford. They instead demand to know why she wants to ruin their memories of a giant Hollywood star.
0: that they did not know
1: at one point at one point she has to interrupt an interview to say aren't you asking the wrong question instead of asking me why i wrote this book shouldn't you be asking why my mother abused me oh my gosh so it was that bad oh it was so bad that halfway through the tour she said i don't want to do this anymore I don't understand why I'm explaining myself. They don't want to talk about the book. They want to put me on trial. And her husband was like, okay, but have you thought through what this means? And she was like, that I'm quitting? I don't care. I don't care. I'm terrified of heights. As soon as I signed the book contract, PTSD hit me hard.
0: <gasps> oh.
1: Uh Everything, like, it's just constant travel It's fall and winter There are snowstorms galore It's the fall of 78, which is apparently a terrible time to travel There is a little bit of, like, in Survivor (laughs) There's a little bit of And then the hotel accommodations were not great (laughs)
0: <laughs> which i understand like i understand, uh... like, I
1: understand. Yeah. like you're already reeling from the mental strain of doing this tour and defending yourself constantly and then also you're staying in a shit in a shit box hotel like i get right. it girl
0: right yeah uh
1: so halfway through she's gonna quit and she tells her publicist and her publicist is like no please oh god no please <laughs> because they've never seen anything like the the publication of mommy dearest it's through the roof and she finally acquiesces and says, all right, I'll keep doing the tour. But she starts punching back. Mm. And she starts really letting loose the rage and fury that she has kept bottled up for 37 years. And she starts responding to people with statistics about child abuse.
0: <gasps> wow. When they come at her
1: about attacking Joan Crawford, she's like, okay, well, that's just one story. So here are, you know, here are all the facts about child abuse across the country if you would rather that we talk about that. Wow. Okay, good for her. Get it, Tina. And she was getting beaten up in the press and by her mother's old friends because Old Guard Hollywood sure came out and defended Joan Crawford and swore up and down that they'd never seen anything like that, mostly. Uh. But she was getting so many letters from people who said, I didn't know that this happened to anyone else. I thought it was me. Thank you so much for telling your story. Thank you so much for bringing child abuse out into the open and making this a national topic. And what she did in terms of making child abuse, something that people talked about, something that was not taboo is really remarkable. And she does she gets no credit for that because there are a lot of other motives attributed to her, um, a lot of other conflicting desires that are apparent in both *Mommy Dearest* and *In Survivor*. Uh, there's just—it's hard. She is difficult to root for in a lot of ways.
0: Right, right. Uh,
1: but what what the publication of *Mommy Dearest* did in terms of making child abuse a subject of national conversation is immense and should be applauded. Yeah. More.
0: Wow. Interesting.
1: Uh, And so she's doing this tour. Things are getting better. Uh, Then it's time for the movie to be made. Uh, She wrote two screenplays. She was told her first draft was too much about child abuse.
0: (laughs) Oh, boy. Here we go again.
1: Uh, The second draft, they never commented on. They just hired a team of screenwriters to write a new one. Oh, no. Uh, She also claims that Faye Dunaway showed up at the director's door in full Joan Crawford drag to get the part. Oh, my gosh. And she actually knew the director from her theater, from her own theater days and considered him like a friend and colleague who kind of knew the story of her life, like kind of knew everything that she'd lived through with Crawford. And he just threw her under the bus. And so then, a lot of things happened. Uh, she's actually fairly circumspect about the pub- about the making of *Mommy Dearest*. She never refers to Faye Dunaway by name again. After oh writing about how she got cast, she just calls her the star. Uh, she really does not talk about the making of it. Uh, the only the the only interesting stuff to, I gleaned from it is. By the time they finished filming, it was a four-hour-long movie. The editor said, I can't edit this, it's uneditable. So he got fired, and they hired a new person who cut it down to a manageable length by getting rid of all the connecting tissue, so it's just a two-hour highlights reel of climactic moments with no downtime in between them.
0: Oh my gosh. Ugh, what a mess.
1: Yeah. So... By the time that the movie comes out, Christina's not really talking about Mommy Dearest or Joan Crawford because she had had a debilitating stroke and had to learn how to read, write, and speak again. No! Yeah. It was so that the movie stressful. Comes out oh my gosh. She literally, in her late 30s, had a stroke.
0: Wow. And
1: her entire right side was paralyzed.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And so everyone's like, where's Christina Crawford? Why isn't she at the premiere? Why isn't she talking about this? And the rumor was that she'd had a nervous breakdown. Because she just, she was very, I mean, she was raised by Crawford. So she was very old school. And she did not want people to know that she'd had a stroke.
0: Oh my gosh. That's crazy.
1: So she totally misses the whole mommy dearest debacle. She sees it once uh that was apparently enough for her uh and all of a sudden her child abuse becomes the subject of ridicule and camp and she, all of a sudden this traumatic moment where she was beaten by wire hangers becomes Ugh. a drag queen's rallying cry
0: right right just a uh, like yeah oh my gosh
1: but Ugh. before before the movie, when she's on tour, she comes to the West Coast to start doing publicity. And she's working with someone who had worked with Joan Crawford in the 40s. And he said, you know, I have to tell you, I, I met you once. Uh, we were here for this planning committee uh, with Joan Crawford. And we heard your brother start crying. And the maid came and said that you had accidentally slammed the door on his fingers. And you had apologized and Joan made you... Made the maid bring you to her and in front of all of us took you to the doorway and took the sliding door no. in her hand and no. slammed it on your fingers. No. And Christina said, Yes, I vividly remember that happening and I did not put that in the book. Though <gasps> so I know that you... I know that you saw it. And her husband said, What did, what did you do? And the guy said... I left the room, I threw up and I drove, and I drove away.
0: (gasps) Oh my gosh. So there, there were witnesses. Oh yeah. People knew. (gasps) Oh my gosh.
1: But you have to think too, all of these old Hollywood stars, like how much of Joan Crawford's behavior that accepted. But one of the things that is really frequently cited is that she kept her son, Christopher in a sleep harness because he was a sleepwalker. So she strapped him into bed every night. Oh my God. But how many of these people who grew up in the early 1900s uh, with very, very strict parents when beatings were very common, how many of them were just like, no, that's not child abuse?
0: Yeah, no, 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 for sure, for sure. And her giving, you're right. I mean, all the, her giving a name to it was like the first person, probably, as you said, it was the first person from, wealthy family to talk about this and it didn't have a name and if you don't name it and if people aren't talking about it it's really easy to accept it you know uh so icky icky
1: so the book comes out huge deal the movie comes out uh you know not as great basically she has to recover from a stroke her husband stays with her helps her recover and then they get divorced she is now i think a quarter of a million dollars in debt all the money's gone uh and then uh she writes survivor at the end of the decade kind of catching everyone up about life post mommy dearest uh the stuff about life during the book tour and the movie are really interesting. Then she gets very into spiritualism.
0: Oh, interesting. And the
1: spiritualism is uh, a little bit strange because basically... uh, Basically, there's a whole thing about her, like writing a thing to her younger self, mourning her loss. Then she has a hallucination or a vision of her younger self greeting herself. And it's just kind of rough stuff for the second half. (laughs) It's a little dark,
0: Is what you're saying.
1: A little dark. What's very strange is the book comes out in 78. To all intents and purposes, she has exercised her childhood. Uh, Clearly she spends a lot of the eighties continuing to do work on herself. She joins AA. Uh, She takes it very seriously. Uh, I'm certainly not making fun of her for taking this seriously, uh, but to write a memoir about one's own navel gazing is a bit much. Sure, fair. Uh, but she kind of makes being Joan Crawford's daughter into a cottage industry. Mm. Like, there's a new a new edition of Mommy Dearest is released. She founds a publishing company to release the 30th anniversary edition.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, which is the unedited version? So whatever the editor at the time cut, she's like, "This must be re- replaced. This must be returned." Got it. So a lot of stuff like after she graduated high school, uh, then she uh, she writes Survivor. She's written a Mommy Dearest musical. Ooh, okay, interesting. Which interesting. Uh, was performed in concert at Birdland, uh, and she did like a Q and A one woman show about mommy dearest where she read excerpts from the book and talk and then did an audience q a uh but that was in new york city for one mother's day a few years ago so really it's for all intents and purposes she has assigned herself this mantle
0: got it of joan crawford child interesting okay
1: and at this point, I want to say, yeah, she, Joan Crawford's been dead longer than she was Christina's mother.
0: Oh wow, okay, and Christina's still alive.
1: Christina's eighty and still alive. Yeah,
0: wow, okay,
1: or no, eighty-two now. Oh my
0: gosh, interesting. Wow, but
1: one, and here's one of the rough things about this is uh, it's very difficult to find out what is real and what is fiction right because of course, there's right. a real cottage industry of mediocre celebrity biographies where people just kind of make stuff up yeah right like entire interviews they just charlotte chandler has a whole series of interviews uh here's uh caveat number one with charlotte chandler books charlotte chandler is a pseudonym Uh, Why you feel the need to write biographies under a pseudonym (laughs) is beyond me. Uh, And all of Charlotte Chandler's biographies hinge on lengthy in-person conversations she's had, allegedly, with long-dead stars like Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Hmm. Okay. Uh, But none of these books came out until the aughts. So she was just sitting on a Joan Crawford interview for... 40 years
0: what yeah that's a little mm, little fishy
1: then you know people will write books about Joan Crawford who are fans and so automatically they're taking you know Myrna Loy's version of everything Mm -hmm. at face value
0: right because she was
1: Joan Crawford's oldest friend uh and then I think at a certain point Christina's natural reaction to this is to just double down and Maybe things get exaggerated here and there. Maybe uh, she becomes more obsessed with counteracting the Joan Crawford image than she does in talking about the actual child abuse, which is certainly the case in Survivor. But it's this very messy subgenre of literature where before Wikipedia, it was every man for himself. You could write whatever the hell you wanted about stars.
0: Right, right. Yeah. And especially as their children, because no one can tell you that that didn't happen in your house. Like, who's...
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, famously, uh, the year after Crawford died, Christina wrote Mommy Dearest. And then Betty Davis said, well, at least I never have to worry about B.D. writing one about me. And her daughter, B.D. Hyman, did write a book about her, My Mother's Keeper, while she was still alive. Wow. Which allegedly yeah. led to her stroke to Betty Davis's stroke in the eighties,
0: oh my gosh,
1: yeah, so okay, uh, and but, now was
0: was this sort of the first like written by a child story about no. a celebrity? okay,
1: no, this was definitely the most famous and the biggest, uh but Brooke Hayward had written one about her crazy family called Haywire, okay, uh which uh, her father was the Broadway producer, Leland Hayward. Her mother was Margaret mm. Sullivan, the actress who killed herself. Her father ended up marrying a uh, kind of professional 20th century courtesan and future parent, uh, French diplomat or ambassador, Pamela Harriman.
0: Mm. Oh, love her.
1: Yeah. Uh, played by Ma- Anne Margaret in the TV movie, Life of the Party.
0: <laughs> I love the Harrimans.
1: Uh, oh, that should be a, ooh. <gasps>
0: Harriman and in Churchill? Her. Lots of things. Put a pen. Put a oh, pen yeah.
1: Pen. Oh, yes.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, but
1: no, Christina, and you look at the fallout of Mommy Dearest, and Christina Crawford never really moved past it. Uh, Faye Dunaway's career was DOA upon the release of Mommy Dearest. For many reasons. I don't think that she helped her own cause by being as difficult as she allegedly is. But that movie kind of ended it. Like, she didn't do anything yeah really after mommy dearest and Joan Crawford's reputation took a permanent hit because we are unable to separate in that case we're unable to separate uh the artist from the person now if it's a man I see that we have absolutely no qualms (laughs) about saying but that's not the person it's the art nope
0: we're totally fine with that that's totally fine yeah totally fine
1: but uh, Joan Crawford, uh, oh no, she and it, it's actually kind of tragic because uh, I think that now that has destroyed the reputation that she had in a way that I'm not sure is entirely fair. Um, and I wish that we had it never would have happened, but I do wish that we had had Joan Crawford responding to the book. Yeah, because I would course, love to know right. how much of it was, how much of it was just a reaction to her own really rough upbringing.
0: Yeah, I wonder if even some of it she would have been like, "Well, yeah, how else do they learn?"
1: Yes, I, I really you know? think that she thought she was a good parent. I think in many ways, and I think that it was just a mother-daughter tense relationship writ large.
0: Right. Fair. Mm-hmm. for a
1: lot of that. Um, but yeah, we And, and yes, do never... we call that
0: child abuse? Absolutely. But I agree with you that the at the time, they probably wouldn't have called it that, you know? So no, it's... not at all. So, you know, but is it? Yes. For the record, again, PSA, that is child abuse. But did, Don't do that. But
1: <laughs> did she know that it was child abuse? No, right. because- right. And there's also this, and this is one of the reasons why it's very difficult to root for Christina and to take Mommy Dearest at face value. She also claims, again, that her mother made, that Joan Crawford made a series of blue movies that her first husband, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., bought all the copies of, except one copy kept by a famous aviators club, of which Charles Lindbergh, that eugenicist uh, Nazi sympathizer, was a member. (laughs) Lindberg. and i think that that's been fairly disproven over the years because it also feels like something if joan crawford had made porn movies i feel like they would have come up by now
0: yeah somebody would have been like oh this tape let's see what it was what this is yeah probably
1: but you know we're always discovering previously assumed lost silent movies so maybe joan oh. crawford's puss is out there somewhere <laughs>